Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So good to see you guys. How about that weather, huh? Amazing, amazing day today. And uh, just want to give everybody a gold star for coming to church on a beautiful day, all right? Like, you moved up a row in heaven. I don't know if that's right, but, you know, it feels good, so we'll, uh, we'll roll with it today. Hey, I, I want to just jump right into the Word of God. Can we do that? Can we just jump right into the Bible today? 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The author of this passage is the Apostle Paul. And he is writing to a young leader whose name is Timothy. And he's writing not just about the importance of not falling into the trap of running after money. He was charging Timothy to live with his inner life in the proper order. We need order in our inner world. We need our inner world to be in the right order and our freedom from the traps of the world around us. The world that's built on the idea that more is better. The world that has the economy that drives us to want to buy things that we don't need to impress people that we don't like. Right? And that world that we live in, we're supposed to flee from it. But listen to me, it's not just the absence of those things where we find our freedom. No, it's our hearts not valuing those things is where we find our freedom. We're, we're not just running away from, to quote Paul, the traps of the world, of chasing money and things and stuff. We're running to godliness. We're not just running from these things, these patterns of the world. We're, we're actually running towards godliness. Again, listen to verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue, run towards righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And Jesus addresses this same inner order that Paul does in Matthew 6, and it says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, about your body or what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you add a single hour to your life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field and they grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? For the pagans, the pattern of the world runs after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So listen to Jesus's words to us. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Again, we, we've seen week in and, and week out as we've been walking through this journey together that we're calling practices where we're looking at these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices that should be alive in our lives to, to grow our souls closer to the living God. There's a way that the world deals with life. There's a way that the world deals with money, success, fear. There's a way the world deal, deals with pain and frustration and disappointment. And there's also a way that heaven deals with those things. In Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And our pursuit over these next few weeks is not to add more things for you to do in your life. Our, our aim is that we would all find a new rhythm in the order of our life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not about doing it. It's about being changed by it. Now, the practice that we're going to be talking about today is simplicity and fasting. And the reason we're talking about this practice today is because I don't know if you've been keeping up, but every week we add a practice and every practice we challenge you to practice. And so you are every week growing a list of things that you need to do. And, and what I have found in my life, and I'm sure you can also relate, is that my desire to practice these practices is actually not the problem. The problem is not a desire to want to wake up in the morning and begin my day with worship and declaration to reorient my life and my mind and my heart around who God is and who he's called me to be. I want that. My, my, my desire is not the issue when it comes to Bible study and meditation. I, I want to be someone who is transformed by the renewing of my mind, and I want the word of God to change. I want to chew on it, and I want to be changed by it, and I, I want to serve people, man. I have a desire to serve those around me, to, 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 to choose a life where I'm not looking out for me, but I'm looking out for you. The desire is there. My issue is not 
the intention. My issue is time. Anybody else have a time problem? It's like, man, I want to do the Lexia Divina. I want to start my day that way. But then all of a sudden, like your day starts and you're chasing your day versus ordering your day. Is this happening to anybody else? You're like, man, today's going to be different. And then all of a sudden, it's like, boom, you're eating breakfast in the car and you're yelling at people, you know, and you've got two other bowls of oatmeal that you had left from earlier in the week and you see them and you're mad, like, dang it, I didn't even get this out of my car. And then you put another bowl on top of it. And like the idea of stopping to like do heart work this feels impossible. You're like, I'm just trying to get to work. Right? I'm just trying to, to get to work. I'm just trying to get my kids to school wearing clothing. Right? Like, I'm just trying to locate shoes. What happens to shoes in children? Why, why do we only have one? Why do we always only have one shoe? We know where one shoe is, the other shoe has been stolen. You might find it in the neighbor's backyard. And so your morning that you wanted to start, that your intention was to start with this time to worship and declare and to study the Bible and to meditate on the word of God is stolen from you from this, the, this devil that's called the clock. Famous writer, theologian, philosopher, thinker, who we've quoted often in this series is a man named Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard says this, we have a problem and that problem is time, but the solution is not more time. Can I say that again? We have a problem and that problem is time, but the solution to our problem is not more time. What Dallas Willard is pointing out to us is that if we're not getting to the things in our life that we want to, we have an order issue, we don't have a time issue. We have an order problem, and more time is not going to change the order problem. More time will just give us more opportunities to live out of order, increasingly frustrated that we still can't get done what we want to get done. When we live our lives in right order, we're actually protected from the traps that we encounter in the world. Again, listen to Paul's admonition to Timothy here. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That is a powerful statement. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Hear me. Paul is not saying that money is bad. Paul is saying money out of order is bad. Where money sits in the order of your inner world will determine if it is a tool for greatness or a tool for your downfall. Money in and of itself is not the problem. We have an order problem. 
And that's why we can have no money yet still be greedy. And we can have more money than we can spend and live generous because it's about where money is in order in your inner world that will determine how that resource is used in and through your life. Jesus' admonition to us to not worry about where we're going and where we're going to eat and to seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all of those things that we're stressed about will be taken care of. Jesus ultimately is speaking not just to a life that is free from anxiety. Jesus is speaking to the power of a life that has an inner world that is in order. That when our inner world is in order, we're not distracted by things that will be provided for us. Because contentment and, is, is, and godliness is a great gain. When we're content with what we've been given and we're pursuing godliness. Remember, we're not just trying to run away from stuff talking about simplicity. We're running towards godliness. We're not just running away, we're running Towards. Now, if you're anything like me, you hear the word simplicity and your mind goes very quickly to the popular artistic and design aesthetic called minimalism. How many of you have experienced it? How many of you are into it? You know, like, yes, the grants you are. You have like one chair. Bless you. And like, <laughs> you know, like, like Pastor Chris Otts, you know, he's like super into it. So you go to their house and like everything is so minimal. You're like, do I even... Do you want me here or am I like in a museum? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I want to be very, very clear because the practice of simplicity and the design aesthetic of minimalism might on the surface look similar. But in practice, they are miles apart. Minimalism is I want to pull things out of my life and out of my home so that the simplicity and the, the lack of chaos in my outer world can have an effect on my inner world. The practice of simplicity flows the opposite direction. It's that I am living in order in my inner world and because of the simplicity that I'm living in in my inner world, it is affecting my outer world. What I mean is, is that you can be the most extreme minimalist and not practice simplicity. You could have one shirt and one pair of pants and three pairs of underwear. Not one. Don't do that to me. Don't do it to you. Right? You could have one chair in the middle of your living room, like the Grants. You could have one thing in your home and have nothing on the wall and be like, I'm going to be like Steve Jobs and I'm just going to live in a white nothingness and, and I'm just going to like allow nothing to distract me. All of that and not practice simplicity. But you could be in the middle of chaos and practice simplicity. Because the practice of simplicity might affect our design aesthetic, but it's not defined by it. 
Minimalism is a design aesthetic, an approach to life, but the practice of simplicity is how we order our inner life, removing the things that hinder us so that we can pursue who God has called us to be. The practice of simplicity flows out. I love reading moments in Scripture where we get a window into Jesus' life. I love the words of Jesus. I love when Jesus tells stories. But I think my favorite is when we get a window into an encounter that Jesus had with people because it reveals so much to us, not just about his character, but ultimately these spiritual practices were birthed out of his life. And so when we get windows into his life, these practices come alive. And one of these moments that I I love to read is in Luke 10. And we're going to start in verse 38. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. (laughs) Don't you love that? Sounds like my children, honestly. Y'all go clean clean the playroom, inevitably. Three minutes. Dad, can you tell Tate to help us, right? Because as soon as it's time to clean, bathroom emergencies emerge, right? Like that's what happens. Like everybody's fine. Yo, we're going to clean this room up. I got to go, Dad. I mean, like really, you know, like Mother Nature is calling. I got to pick up, you know? And like the timing of their restroom break just happens to line up perfectly with the time of it takes to clean the room. So when I read this, I, I feel it. Like, I get it. I, I have been Martha, where I'd be like, dude, is anybody else going to do anything around here? Like, really? You know, like, uh, is, is anybody else going to do something? Or is it just me? And you want to go to the person who's in charge or the authority figure or the person's house you're at and be like, yo, can you tell everybody else to help me? And then Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Pay attention. What was she, she was getting ready for dinner. That's not why she was running around the house. Are you hearing me? When your inner world is out of order, the chaos of the insides will manifest itself in chaos on the outside. And so you will redust and reclean and restir and rewipe the baseboards, even though they're clean because you feel unsettled. Therefore, you're seeking peace that you're hoping to def- you'll find it by what's going on out there when really it flows from in here. Martha, Martha, you've worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. It's simple. It's not complicated. It's simple. Mary has chosen what is better. 
I love that sentence. Mary has chosen what is better because Jesus does not say that Mary has chosen what is right. No, because Martha's personality, she was a doer. She's probably a nine on the Enneagram. So she's like, wants to help everybody, but furious that she is. If you're a nine, bless you. Right? So she's always been that person. Like she is the doer. Mary is a beer. She's a, a sitter. Right? She's a four on the Enneagram. <laughs> she's just going to sit there. She's not going to say a whole lot. She's going to think a whole lot. So Jesus is not attacking how Martha's made. Jesus is correcting the order in Martha's inner world that was affecting how she lived. I used to read this and go like, man, Jesus doesn't want anybody to do anything. And then you keep reading the Bible and you're like, yo, we seem to be held really accountable by what we do. So what do we do? Nothing or do? Like, you know, be or do, be or do. I, I, you know, like it could feel very confusing. But Jesus was not attacking like her personality to be someone who wants to help. He was addressing her inner world. Her inner world was out of order. And therefore, the chaos she was feeling, she was expressing And Jesus says that Mary, the one who was sitting at Jesus' feet, had chosen the better way. Jesus wanted Martha to understand that the tension she's feeling is not going to resolve in other people doing what she's doing the tension she's feeling will only be resolved when she allows what is needed, which Jesus says is not a lot, to be what drives her versus her desire to just do more. Again, Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She was just living out of order. A couple of years ago, I opened up to you that a long time ago, I played the drums, like a really, really long time ago. And I loved, and I still do, and I don't get to play drums very often anymore, but I still love playing drums. I mean, they're fun, okay? Like, you hit stuff, they're loud, it just is a really awesome thing. I love playing the drums. Now, when you're a drummer, and you're trying to become a better drummer, you get introduced to a little friend called the metronome. Metronomes set a tempo. The tempo is set. And the problem when you're learning how to play the drums is you realize that you have no sense of tempo. And this is like actually most musicians one of the first things that you have to learn to do is play in time. Because it's not just about playing an instrument. If you're not playing in time, then no one's going to want you to play with them at any time. (laughs) 
So you, you have to learn it. And it, it's, it's hard because you feel like the metronome is bossing you around when you're a young musician. And then you get frustrated because you're like, surely this is not working. Like, surely the tempo is changing, right? And if you're like me, and internal confidence is not your problem, I'm just like, I know I'm right. So did someone come and change this because surely I'm not the issue, right? Now, the metronome sounds like this. That's what metronomes sound like, all right? Like, it is a, an annoying sound. It, it's a sound that if you grew up playing instruments, like you just hear it and it comes with PTSD, you know, like, I'm just like, oh, you know, like it's just horrible. But, but I want to use this as an illustration and I, I've talked about this before, but I think it's important for us to go back and remember that although the tempo of our life is set at times for us, our tempo does not have to affect the rhythm that we're living in in our life. What I mean by that is that oftentimes, just like if I was to set this at 100 beats per minute, this is going to stay at 100 beats per minute until I change it. When we're talking about simplicity and trying to remove things from our lives so that we can pursue godliness depending on what season of life you're in, that can be very hard to really practice because you look at your schedule and your schedule has been given to you. Like the tempo of your life was given to you. You have to be at work at this time. You've got to get these classes done. You've got to read this amount of books. You've got to travel all over to this place to get to here. And then you throw kids on top of it. And then you find out about kids' performances like 12 hours before you're supposed to be there. And, and you've got to deal with that. And then your kid plays soccer. And so you're like everywhere. You know what I'm saying? And then your other kid plays football. So then you're like everywhere. And then you have a cheerleader. And you're like, we need to hire a driver. You know, and so you, I, I, I look at my life and I'm like, I love the idea of removing things to pursue some things. That is a beautiful thought. But I look at my schedule and I'm like, what am I going to remove? Because these things I did not choose. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't choose soccer practice to be from 6 to 8.30, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't choose that this gathering would happen at this time. I didn't pick that, right? And so we feel like things have been given to us. And so we think like, wow, we want to live with our inner life in order. We want to be like Mary, not Martha. We want to be living from a place of peace, not living from a place of chaos. How does that happen when I can't slow down my tempo? Because the simplest thing to think about would be like, man, well, I'll just slow down my life because I have a problem and that problem is time. And so if I get some more time, then maybe I will live a different way. Oftentimes that's not the case. We will subtract something and then fill it with something that's equally as distracting from our pursuit of godliness. It's not necessarily space that's the issue. It's the order of our inner world that is the issue. So what do we do when we're in a season of life when the Tempo of our life has been set. Tempo does not have to affect rhythm. This is what I mean. Here we go. Metronome. Let's crank it up a little bit. Make it super annoying. All right? Now, here's the thing. Tempo. 
Tempo's the same. You know what I changed? The beats in the tempo, I didn't change the tempo. Rhythm is what I play on top of the tempo. And you can choose a rhythm in your life that is going to be chaotic, or you can choose a rhythm in your tempo that is going to be simple. And I believe just like Jesus told Martha that Mary has done the better thing. She, she is doing it a better way. I think that practicing simplicity in our rhythm on top of the tempo of our schedules and our lives is the better way. Reordering our world around encountering Jesus and not trying to find time to encounter him would be a great, simple picture of how tempo and rhythm work together. If I have a chaotic rhythm where I'm trying to find time versus I'm building a rhythm where it has time, it is going to change and affect so much. The practice of living simply is the practice of putting what matters most in life first. That's really what it is. It, it's fleeing from the traps of the pattern of the world and it's pursuing a life of godliness. And we do that by ordering our lives around the things that are going to take us where we want to go. Remember, if I want to change something about me, I have to change something about me. I, I can't just be like, man, I want to have a more simple inner world. I'm going to have to do some things to have a more simple inner world. Or I'm just going to say it, but I'm not going to live it. You might do a closet purge and go, whoo, man, it feels so good to simplify my wardrobe. But again, it's not the mechanics of the practice. It's the purpose of the practice. What are we not just running from? What are we running towards? It's the same with the other practices we've talked about in worship and declaration. It's not about just like changing our morning rhythm of starting our day worshiping Jesus and declaring the truth of who he is and reading our Bible. It's not just about checking the box. It's about the purpose of those practices and how they drive us to godliness. The same is with the practice of simplicity. It's not just that we're running away from things or decluttering our inner world. It's that we are doing that so that that margin that is created is used to press us in to Jesus. That margin is, that's created is used to give us a greater awareness of what God is doing in our lives. Some of you guys were in high school in the 90s, and I was too. 
and you probably went to a camp at some point, if you were a Christian, you went to church camp, and the preacher did this illustration where he had like a big vase, and he had a bunch of rocks and a bunch of sand, and it was like, how can all of this go into this one vase? You guys know this illustration? It's huge in the 90s, man. It was huge. It was a good one in the 90s, right? Like, it was a good era for sports, and it was a great era for church illustrations, you know? But the illustration is very simple. If I put the sand in first, if things are out of order, everything doesn't fit. But if I put the big rocks in first and then add the sand, the sand will fill in the space that the rocks left. If we want to see things change in us, we need to reorder some things We need to get the big rocks in first so that we can pursue godliness. Some practical things that I think are helpful, that have been helpful for me, is I've been really trying to tackle having an inner world that's in order, an inner world that that is simple. And one of them very simply is like cutting out some TV watching and interjecting some Bible reading. Again, it's not just about removing one thing. It's about removing it to pursue him. Right? Maybe it's putting your phone to bed before you go to bed. And this is something, personally, I've got to get better at. Because I'll end up just like, Laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep, reading emails, just reading the news, filling my mind, not necessarily with what is bad, but there's a better way. And so I need to put my phone not just next to my bed in another room. I need to put my phone to bed. Like, my phone needs a bedtime. You're like, yo, my my phone's going to go to bed at at 8 o'clock, and it's... It sleeps here, right? That, that, that's a simple thing that we can do that's gonna take away some of the chaos that we feel on the inside and then manifest on the outside because we need to pursue godliness and not just replicate worldliness. Maybe it's buying someone else a pair of shoes instead of you buying another pair of shoes, This one's hard for me, too, because I love shoes. And I spent this whole week, actually, like, researching, wanting to get, like, these, like, old Jordan 1s, dude. It's, like, these vintage, like, Jordan 1s we released in 2016. I'm, like, tracking them down, getting prices on them, everything. And then I'm writing this sermon. I'm like, dude, you don't need those shoes. (laughs) Would those shoes be cool? Absolutely. (laughs) Would I wear them? Totally. But could I also choose a better way? And saying, I'm going to make a decision to live more simply so that I can live another discipline, which is generosity. Right? The margin that living simple gives us is to be used not to fill it with things that are not going to take us towards heaven. They're to be filled with things that are going to take us towards Jesus. 
It's not just about doing less, having less. It's about having an inner world that is in order so that we are living from a place of peace. We're pursuing godliness. It's another practice, another discipline that we're going to talk about today that really lines up perfect with simplicity. And it's fasting. Everyone's favorite, right? The cool thing is, is like fasting's in style right now. So it used to be if someone found out you were fasting, they would like, call your parents and be like, is he okay? Like, what's happening? Now, it's, you know, you say you're fasting. You're like, oh, cool, you're doing a cleanse? <laughs> what, what cleanse are you doing? You know, like, oh, what book did you read? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like no one would, will ask you if you're fasting for, like, spiritual reasons. It's like everyone just fasts for health now. You know, it's like you have to stipulate. In a lot of ways, we're getting back to how fasting was in Jesus' day. And fasting was so normal in Jesus' day, like, when Jesus spoke of fasting and when fasting was talked about in the Bible, it was when you fast. There's not a you should fast. It was like super normal. It was like a very normal rhythm of life. And fasting is simple. It's saying no to one thing to say yes to something else. That's really all it is. The most classic approach to fasting is to say no to food and allow your physical hunger to be an inner alarm clock in you to drive you into the presence of God. But fasting can be so much more than just fasting from food. Fasting is anything that I can say no to that I'm going to miss. Keyword, miss. My son Kevin, doing a fast, family fast. What are you going to fast from? Kevin's like, I'm going to fast from coffee. Well, that's a bummer, Kev, because you never drink coffee. So you have, don't say no to something you already say no to, right? That's just living. That, say no to something that you're going to miss, and then you're longing for what you're lacking. You're saying no to one thing to say yes to the main thing. That's what it is. So I would, I would be completely honest with you and say, I, I, I think that it's harder to fast from your phone than it is to fast from food. 100%. Fast from food, man, settle into it. First couple days are tough. Then you're like, cool, your stomach shrinks. You're like, let's make it happen, bro. You ever less, left your house without your phone? Did you have a nervous breakdown? Did you turn around? Yeah, and we think like, oh, in case somebody wants to get the hold of, no. You know, this has nothing to do with it. Oh, what if, what, you know, in case someone needs to get the hold, no, that's not. Like, you guys were, like, back in the day, okay? Like, nobody got a hold of anybody. And everyone still lived. And we still connected, and we still somehow got married, had babies. You know, like, it happened, man. I used to leave my house on my bicycle at 8 a.m. in the summer, and I would get home at 9. No phone, no pager, right? Guess what? My parents 
Loved it. <laughs> you know? And, and so the reason I'm saying that is that maybe you need to say no to something that you feel like you have to have to remind you that you were created to live in beautiful communion with Jesus. Like, what if I craved his presence like I craved my phone? That, like, I was so aware. I was so aware of him that I knew when I had left it somewhere. And that it would drive me to change my plans and reorder my day. Like, what, what, if, what if we craved him like that? That's, what, that's the invitation of the practice of simplicity is for us. It's really the invitation of all of the practices. It, it's to reorder our inner world. The big rocks that we have been putting in might not be the right ones. And just like Martha, we're running around and we're busy and we're hustling and we're bustling. And Jesus says, there's a better way of not being consumed with everything that needs to get done, but being so aware of the one that you are with. See, it wasn't that Mary was lazy. Jesus was there. Jesus was there. Is it, is it really, if Jesus was there, like, would it really matter if the table was dusty? Would it really matter if this didn't get put away? I, mean, I think Martha had missed that Jesus was there. He was there. And Mary was just with him, like, just there with him. Just saying, I just want to sit with you. Like, I just want to sit at your feet. You just, I'm not going to ask you any questions. You, I just want to allow who you are just to be around me. That, that's the better way in this practice of removing things from our lives that hinder us is to create space so that that relationship that God has for us has room. It has room, it has space. That margin that the practice of simplicity and the discipline of fasting, what those things do is they make us aware of our need for Jesus. And therefore, it's an invitation into more of him. L listen, listen, you know, I, I think it's important to say that, you know what fasting is not? Fasting is not a hunger strike. Fasting is not a weight loss strategy. Fasting is not a social media digital purge. Fasting is a weapon. Yeah, that's good. And li li listen to 
The words of Isaiah, Isaiah 58, it says, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loosen the chains of the unjust, to unite the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? It is not to share your food with the hungry and provide for the poor wandering with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of God will be at your rear guard and then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say here am I the practice of fasting leads to a lifestyle of breakthrough and it's not because it impresses God it's not like God's looking at you going man if you only fasted then I would really give you some breakthrough that's not his character It's not that it impresses him. No, what fasting does is it removes from us the things in us that are hindering us from being able to be aware of what God is doing right in front of us. So there's often a correlation with fasting and breakthrough. And it's not that our fasting unlocks some secret code in heaven that God's been waiting for you to pray. It's that we're now more aware of his presence and that that reorientation of our inner world leads us into the breakthrough that he has for us. We say no to one thing to say yes to the main thing. So here's how we're gonna practice this practice this week. Again, remember, we're, we're, we need to change something if we're going to change something, right? Very simple. So here's how we're going to practice. I want you to spend some time this week and ask yourself the question, is my inner world in order? Is my inner world in order? Are the big rocks in place? And then I want you to make some decisions to remove some things from your life to create margin and develop a healthy rhythm of encountering God and pursuing godliness in the middle of the tempo that you've been given in your life. So this doesn't mean that now you're going to tell your kids to quit playing soccer. This means that you're going to find a better way in the tempo of your life to orient yourself around pursuing heaven and pursuing godliness. And here's the big one. I want you to fast from something for one day this week. I want you to fast for something, from something, one day this week. We have a guide on our website, antiochatx.com slash resources. We've got a how-to fasting guide, walks you through different fasting strategies from not eating food to not doing social media. It's all practically there. I know that some of you can't fast from food because of medical reasons, health, all those things. That is all good. Man, there are many things that we can say no to to say yes to Jesus. Amen? Hey, let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are here right now and that you've given us this invitation to live a life that is oriented around seeking heaven 
and being someone who lives a simple life the better way so that we have space in our souls to enjoy you and encounter you. And God, I'm asking for courage to say no to something so that we can say yes to you and experience the power and the breakthrough of your presence being our primary concern. In Jesus' name, amen.